Welcome to Politics and Psychology. I'm Dr. Renee Carr, and thank you for listening. Today, we're going to talk about do boycotts work? So in 2023, which is this year, there were two major boycotts that were publicized. One was the Anheuser-Busch's Bud Light, and the other was Target, the retailer Target. But first, let's have an update to the show's first ever uncomfortable question of the week. So that comfortable, uncomfortable question was, with gender dysphoria being a mental health condition, are persons with this disorder fit for duty in the military? And we had a few people answer and the result was 100% said no. So thank you to everyone who answered or sent in a DM to explain your answer. And also be sure to ask others so we can broaden this discussion on not only fitness for duty, but having a compassionate conversation to help the persons who do have the disorder of gender dysphoria get the treatment that they need without putting other service persons in jeopardy physically or even themselves with their on combat duty. So when we think about the Target and the Budweiser light boycotts, those were ones that were heavily publicized this year in 2023. But there have been numerous other boycotts throughout history, and they were not always consumer focused. For example, we had racial sit-ins, we had sit-ins going or protesting against wars, and numerous other ones. But we're talking today about consumer boycotts and do consumer boycotts work? Now, a boycott is defined as the act of refusing to buy a product, refusing to take part in an activity, or refusing to otherwise support an organization um, as a way to express your strong disapproval of that company or of that brand. Boycotting is a form of protesting and is usually a way of igniting social, political, or economic change in response to something that has been done by an organization, a corporation, or a brand. Now, the act of boycotting is pretty easy to do because all it does is require you to do nothing. So, or if you do have to do something, it's very little meaning that you could just do a simple tweet or a hashtag or you tell your friends to join you in not doing something or in not buying something or not buying from that company. And you can boycott as an individual just by yourself or you can boycott as a group of individuals that you know boycotting. But you can also be part of a group of boycotters who don't even know each other. All it really requires is that you together are having a shared belief of being against the offending company, corporation, or person. Um, We've also seen this, obviously, politically. You can just be a member of a political party, and if there is a call to action to stop buying from a particular chain store, you don't have to know every single other person in your political party to feel a sense of oneness or shared disapproval to join in on that boycott. Now, the psychology behind consumer boycotting is the decision a person will make to intentionally avoid buying a product from a specific company or a brand because of political, social, or ethical concerns about that company or brand. And to decide to boycott, a person must have at least a subconscious understanding that they have economic power, meaning I know at least on some level that this $1 is helping this company and their profit margins. And so I'm going to withhold that dollar. I'm going to withhold my economic support because I'm going to use my power. So in order to boycott, you have to at least on some level have an understanding, even if it's subconsciously, 
that your dollar is powerful and you're going to use that $1 or multiple dollars to show your discontent and disapproval. And this is called negative punishment. And it's called negative because you are taking away something as a form of punishment rather than introducing something. So on the opposite example, if you gave a child a spanking, it doesn't seem like it's positive, of course, to the child, but because you're introducing physical discomfort, that would be considered a positive punishment. Or if you're in an argument with your significant other and you give the silent treatment, then you are taking away your conversation, then that's also a form of negative punishment. So when we think about consumer boycotts, such as with Target or Budweiser Light, it's because we're taking away our dollars as a form of punishment to that company or that brand. And we're doing that with the hopes that this withdrawal of our financial support will then produce a change. So then that leads us into the psychological variables of what would make a person even decide to boycott. And there are four of them. So first, you have to have a desire for difference. You're only going to boycott if you believe that by me introducing this punishment, then they are going to see the light and they're going to make a change. Or if nothing else, they're going to experience my economic wrath and then make the change because it's financially beneficial to them. So you have to have one, a desire for difference. And then two, you have a scope of self-enhancement, meaning is there going to be a positive association to my social status or to my self-esteem by being a part of this boycott? That's part one. And the second would be, am I going to experience personal pride or guilt if I from a sense of pride, stay away from the product that I'm boycotting, or I continue to boycott that company, or am I going to feel guilt whenever I do break the boycott or whenever I do decide to buy from that product or company? So that's your scope of self-enhancement. Then three is the consideration of counter arguments, meaning arguments for, well, why should I not boycott? And the counter arguments would usually come from the questioning of, well, are the people who are at stake here, like the workers or like the people who are needing these products, are they going to be harmed by me engaging in this boycott? And then number four is a constrained consumption cost. So that means as a consumer, you're having a consumption cost. And so will you have a constraining on that? Meaning, what is it going to cost me as a consumer emotionally or physically to be in this boycott? Am I going to make a big sacrifice or is it going to just be something I can easily do or easily switch to? So if you are a heavy user of a product or if this particular store or brand is the only one in your area, it's going to have a high level of constraint against you or a high level of consumer cost because you're thinking, okay, well, I'm giving up something that I have no replacements for. And so I don't know if I can actually stick to it. So when you add that in, you may also have the consumer uh, consumption cost of, well, I don't think that I'm going to be able to uh, let it go because emotionally I have memories attached to this product. 
or I have memories attached to the store or even to the store owner or the manager who's operating that store. And so then you may have an emotional cost that comes along with this boycott. So depending on each of these four factors, it will determine not only will you be likely to engage in a boycott, but also what your success will be in maintaining that boycott. Now, let's apply that to three recent examples for boycotts. We have one, Goya, two, the Anheuser-Busch, which is the Bud Light, and then three, Target. Now, in 2020, the boycott of Goya was because the mainly Democratic supporters of the, um, the Goya consumption market, they were upset by the Goya president's praise of the then president Donald Trump during a publicized White House ceremony. And many people were outraged by the Goya company's um, president because he was showing a very um, high level of praise and adoration for Mr. Trump, despite Mr. Trump speaking so openly against immigrants from Latin America. So as a result, people stopped buying Goya products. They called for a boycott on social media, and they were even using the uh, hashtags Goya way and boycott Goya. Now, in our second example of boycotts, it involves Anheuser-Busch. In April 2023, Anheuser partnered with a TikTok influencer, and his name is Dylan Mulvaney. He's a male, and he dresses as a female, and it's not clear if he actually has gender dysphoria or this is just part of his act and his source of income. But in either instance, because he promotes himself as a female and someone who is with gender dysphoria, then Anheuser-Busch partnered with them as a way to introduce their new product line and to target younger audiences. While they're traditionally conservative consumer base for Anheuser, they were definitely not happy with this. And then they decided to boycott Bud Light and their sales immediately began to plummet. As the boycott was gaining momentum and because the Bud Light commercials were being taken down and there was a change in the CEO leadership, then a lot of the people who were also with gender, true gender dysphoria or just other non-heterosexuals, they were then having a secondary backlash, which caused a second level of boycotting because they were upset that the Anheuser-Busch was giving in to the demands to not promote uh, this Dylan Mulvaney person. Now, less than two months later, Target received a similar backlash for also promoting non-heterosexual activity, but the main thing was because it was focusing it on children and also encouraging the sexualization of infants and children and giving millions of dollars to help teenagers have secret genital removal surgeries without their parents knowing. So looking at all three of these boycotts, we're going to discuss the benefits or the outcomes of these. Now, for any boycott to work, it requires the determination and the willpower of the person's boycotting. And before making the decision to boycott, a person will experience an emotional reaction to something that a company or a person who represents that company did. The emotional response is followed by a behavioral response, which is the avoiding of purchasing a product or avoiding going to a store or a company. Now, in order for it to be a true boycott, 
your avoidance of that company or that product has to be because you were already buying from them. So if you're not already buying from them and you continue to not buy from them, that's not a boycott. That's just you continuing. A boycott is a deliberate withholding. For a consumer boycott, it's a deliberate withholding of your financial resources to give to that company. So remember that you have to, one, have an emotional reaction and then a behavioral response of avoiding purchasing from that company. But you have to have be presently buying from them in order for it to have any true economic impact on the company that you are boycotting. Now let's look at the psychological variables of what will cause a person to continue to boycott. When you look at any boycott, in order for them to be successful, especially for a consumer boycott, it can be very long, very exhausting, and also it can be inconvenient. So when we're looking at the consumer cost of it, we have to decide, okay, well, is me boycotting this? Not only is it going to make a difference, but is it going to have a huge impact on my life in a negative way? In the beginning, it's an emotional response. So the behaviors are then based off of the emotions and that's what's fueling the boycott. However, because it may go on for a longer amount of time, then the emotions may decrease away from the high level of intensity. And then you have a chance to really think about what am I doing? So then you have a chance to think about the personal cost of the boycotting. And that's when you see a lot of the boycotts lose their effectiveness. And that's what many companies have come to rely on. They understand the human behavior and that in the beginning, oh, okay, it's just emotions. Don't worry, we can ride this out. They'll give up because they need our products or they're too lazy to change. Or people are creatures of habit and they're going to go back to what they're comfortable doing. And that's why, I mean, honestly, that's what happens with human behavior. And that's why many boycotts don't work from a consumer standpoint because it is a lot easier just to kind of like go back and say, okay, well, I've showed them my lesson. But what this communicates to the corporations or the multitude of industries to which a person may boycott, they understand that, well, this is just part of what happens. They'll get upset. Now they'll try to cancel you, but they're going to come back. So don't worry about really changing because they're going to eventually give up. So when we as consumers are understanding this, we can say, okay, well, this is going to be long and it may be exhausting and inconvenient, but I'm going to consider now the psychological cost and the behavioral cost to my lifestyle if I continue this boycott, if I want to focus on my convictions more than my convenience. These are considered the cost of boycotting. So you have to, one, recognize that there is a behavioral change that is required, meaning for the target boycott. If you enjoyed going to Target, and I'm a mommy, so if you go to Target and you see all the clothes and you can get some cute candles and you can get laundry detergent all at one time, then you're going to have to have a major disruption in your normal behaviors and you're going to have to either divvy them up or find a replacement. So whatever you're doing, the number one is after the emotions calm down of you being upset about the company. Then you start to think about the realities of what you're getting yourself into. And you first think about the required behavioral change. And you may realize, well, this is a lot harder than what I thought. And so I don't think I can continue this for the long term. Or you may have to reconsider because 
the products that you truly need or the services that you rely upon, you can't find them any other place or there is no viable substitute for you. And that leads us to number three. One of the costs of boycotting is that it might be hard to find a substitute or a substitute that you would also prefer. And one reason why it may be hard to find a substitute is if you're boycotting a company that has a monopoly in that industry, then you may not be able to find anything else that your lifestyle has become accustomed to or that may fit your very real needs. Let's look at the Hershey boycott, for example. They also had a boycott in 2023, but theirs was because during March, which is supposed to be Women's History Month in America, you're focusing on celebrating women. But instead of using a female, they featured a male with gender dysphoria in their Hershey commercial. And they were saying Hershey, S-H-E, instead of Hershey, like the Hershey chocolate. And they were promoting him rather than celebrating real women. And so because Hershey owns so much of the uh, the quick or the low cost chocolates in our country, and they have so many different product lines, it's hard to truly stay away from Hershey because one, they've saturated the market, but you can just avoid purchasing those ones that said Hershey, S-H-E on them for the, um, for the chocolate. And that's what many consumers did when they did boycott Hershey. They just stayed away from that particular product that had her S-H-E on there. And they just brought other Hershey products if they couldn't find a good substitute. Interesting, if you were part of the Hershey boycott, you might have seen that there were a significant number of other chocolate bar companies that had their products moved to the front of the grocery store aisles And they also had their products put in more prominent places inside the um, the grocers or at the counters as a way to show that they were a viable substitute. And that did seem to work and it kind of increased um, more spreading out of individual companies being able to promote their product bars instead of Hershey having a, a monopoly on the candy bars. And in response to that, Hershey figured out, okay, okay, we're not going to win this one. And what they did do is they decreased their product placements of the Hershey bars. You can still, well, hopefully you can't still see them, them definitely be stale, but they did focus on the next month on just pushing their Easter chocolates instead. Anheuser-Busch did the same thing. They sell a huge amount of beers in our country. They actually have more than 100 brands of beer in the United States, and they are the largest beer brewer in the world. So it's hard to just stay away completely. If you're a beer drinker, it's hard to completely avoid Anheuser-Busch. But what they did see was a significant boycotting of Bud Light specifically. So if you are deciding to boycott, you may not be able to boycott the whole product line or the whole company. But if there is one particular product or service that was particularly offensive or one against your morals and values, it is possible to still be successful in the boycott by just boycotting that particular product or that particular service or particular brand. So now let's answer the question, which is the title for this episode, do boycotts work? And we would have to say a resounding yes for Bud Light. And that's because although only one product over the over 100 products that this particular company has. Because the focus of the boycott was so consistent, 
long-term and deliberate, meaning you can see that it was clearly this one product that was being boycotted. It made a huge impact, not only in the Bud Light sales, but also in our economic history of boycotts. For example, in the first week alone, following the boycott, their sales plummeted 26%. So remember emotions in the beginning, everyone may just jump on the bandwagon because they're upset. So let's look at how it you know, prevailed over the long term. In August of 2023, which is over three months later, the reports continue to show that the United States sales fell by more than 10% over the three months compared to the same period in 2022, according to their own earnings report. And the Bud Light sales specifically dropped more than 25% even by August 5th. At the beginning of June, Modelo Especial, which is a Mexican beer made by Constellation Brands, it replaced Bud Light as the top selling beer and it continued to be the top selling beer in our country through July, even until today, which is October the 5th, 2023. And Bud Light did see a significant decline and it continues to fall as far as their second quarter sales, it fell more than 10% from just a year earlier. So again, by having a consistent strategy of focusing on just that one particular beer and being unrelenting unrelenting, and finding a viable substitute that still tasted as good and still easily available, that led to the Bud Light boycott being successful. Now let's examine the effectiveness of the Goya boycott. Now in the first two weeks of the Goya sales, it did drop 22% beginning in July of 2020. However, it was not as successful as the Bud Light boycott because it was very short-lived and also it did not have as much of an impact because their president, which is a privately owned company, did not care and did not make any apologies for his comments that he made or praise that he gave toward President Trump. So remember the four predictors of success. One of those is, is this going to have any difference by me boycotting? By us seeing that the president himself, meaning the president of Goya, it did not make any difference on his opinion. He did not change his statements. He did not make a retraction or apologize. It showed that, okay, well, this person may not really make any change. That was one. The second was that there were no viable substitutes for the Goya products, especially their adobo seasoning. So because we saw that there was less of a likelihood of any change being made, and because there was not a viable substitute for the adobo seasoning, then there were two out of the four predictors of making a boycott successful. In addition to that, we had number three predictor variable, which is the counter arguments. And in this particular instance, because Goya had so many Hispanic persons employed and they also had a huge plant in their country, then it was easy to see that by us boycotting this particular product, one, we're not going to make a difference. Two, I can't find any good substitutes. And three, I'm actually hurting people who I may know who need a job because they are working within the Goya. So true to consumer behavior, the boycott was effective for the emotional high in the beginning. So by the first three weeks, there was a good response that could be seen and felt. 
However, by the end of the nine weeks, it was as if the boycott didn't happen because sales did return to normal. Now let's look at our third and final example of a consumer boycott, and that was with Target. The initial boycott began in June of 2023, and when we look at the sales ending August 2023, the company reported losing 5.4% compared to their second quarter of this year. They also saw that not only were there fewer transactions being made at their store, but the transactions that were happening were smaller in dollar size. So this lets us know that, remember with the substitutes and availability, this lets us know that for individuals who did not find a good substitute or they could not avoid shopping at Target, they were only buying what they absolutely needed or what was absolutely irreplaceable from Target. When determining if the Target boycott was effective, we can say yes, and we can confidently say yes by looking at just the data. So there's always the emotional high in the beginning. So when we look at their beginning sales or the first week of sales of Target, we saw that they lost over $15 billion of their market value compared to mid-May of 2023. So in just two weeks, they had lost over $15 billion. In the first two weeks, we saw that they lost 20% of its stock. So that can still be the emotional high. Let's look at some longer data. We look at their August 2023 earnings report. We see that they are continuing to experience losses, not only inside the store for their foot traffic, but also through their online sales. They've lost 4.3% for their decline in store revenue and they've declined for their online revenue of 10.5%. There were several external variables for why the Target boycott was successful. And the first one was that there was a previous boycott, which was recent, and it was also successful. And that was the Bud Light boycott. Remember for the four predictors of individual boycott success and group boycott success, success we have to see, is there a difference that can be possible? And we saw that because the Bud Light was extremely successful, that empowered consumers to recognize their own power of their dollar and buying choices and saying, you know what? I'm going to do this because this can make a difference. In addition to that, the external variable of the target CEO telling everyone that he did not apologize for the sexualized displays and that he was supporting non-heterosexual persons and promoting non-heterosexual behavior among infants and youth, because he didn't back down from that, that made the third variable, parents and their protection of children, more determined to give up their own comfort to go and protect their principles and their children. So by all of those variables combined, it made the target boycott not only successful in the beginning of the emotions, but then making a logical decision of seeing that we can make a decision, we can be successful in boycotting. The CEO is not changing his mind. He's also not apologizing. And then three, I'm going to protect my children just for the principle of it. Even if I don't even have any children, I don't want other children to be hurt. That goes along with the possible counter argument of, am I going to hurt anybody 
not only by engaging in the boycott, but will I hurt people by not engaging in this boycott? So remember, if you do want to boycott, although it may not be convenient and it may not be easy, if you really are determined to not let a corporation or a company continue in actions that you find unjust or disgusting or offensive or hurtful, then you do have the power and we can see that not only can you make a big change economically in the pockets of a corporation, but you can also make a big change in the lives of individuals who are affected by the statements, the products, and the services of that corporation. And as a listener of Politics and Psychology, you are officially inducted into the informers. So then you can inform others in your family and your community about what's happening and the reasons for why you're boycotting. And with science and love, give them information to make their own decision that is unbiased and best for them. And if you use the psychological technique of inoculation, you can help build up the resistance of you or those that you're encouraging to join you in the boycott from resisting any attempts to give up in the boycott. Inoculation is when you give someone a small piece of something to build up a resistance so they can go longer or not be negatively affected, like with the vaccine. So if you inoculate yourself and others by saying, I know that this is going to be possibly very long and possibly uncomfortable and inconvenient, but if I know that going into it, I won't be surprised if it does take longer than what I expect. I won't be surprised if it is inconvenient to find a substitute. And by knowing that going into it, I'm more prepared and not surprised and I'll be able to continue longer and therefore be more powerful in the outcomes that I'm looking for from this negative punishment for withdrawing financial support from that company. So those are your tips for today. That's the evidence that boycotts do work and please encourage others to also have this information But whenever you do share this information, as always, remember to share the information and to do your boycotting using science and love. And if you 